Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Best Pictures Podcast. I'm Ian, and this is Maggie, and on this episode, we are doing the 1960 The Apartment, or the 33rd Oscar Best Picture winner. Yeah, we are back to what we've been calling canon episodes now. So and by actual, we, she means Maggie. I'm making it a thing, and I heard you do it the other day. So there. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so we are back on our Best Picture winners. As Ian said, this is The Apartment. It is a 1960 American romantic comedy Though it gets a little dark. I would call it a dramedy. I, I would agree with that. Um, Directed like that by a podcast fave, Billy Wilder. So we covered him with The Lost Weekend, which won the Oscar. And then our original test episode, Sunset Boulevard, was oh, his as well. And did you get the fun little nod to The Lost Weekend? Wait, did this come out after The Lost Weekend? Yes, yes it did. Yes, yes. Uh, sorry, <laughs> um, stupid <laughs> questions. It's like daylight savings time. So I'm blaming all of my fogginess on that. Sure. <laughs> but no, I liked the little nod to it. It's like, oh, they had a lost weekend did you notice that in part of it i think i missed that line but um it is it is very stylistically similar i mean it's a wilder film but Mm -hmm. wilder very versatile with his genres um in fact the previous year 1958 his most well-known comedy which is like true comedy some like it hot came out which was a massive hit and also starred jack lemon which is partially why billy wilder wanted to work with him again oh nice Um, some like it hot did not win but i am sure we will cover it at some point oh yeah it is it's worth it it's such a classic as i was saying it serves jack lemon but also shirley mclean who both of them i thought were amazing uh, especially shirley mclean and she had such great lines she steals the oh, scene God. every single time she's on screen mm-hmm. like no matter what she's doing she absolutely steals it but this tells the story of insurance clerk Bud Baxter, played by Lemon, who lets his more senior co-workers use his apartment to conduct their affairs until he falls in love with one of their mistresses, played by Shirley MacLaine. <laughs> nice double entendre right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wilder actually was not huge on improvisation, but mm-hmm. Lemon is very like just a super talented comedian and was like known for being a good improviser. So Wilder did let him do a couple of things. So Lemon did, um, there's a scene where he imp- sprays some nasal spray across the room, which Lemon improvised. And then also <laughs> the singing while making the spaghetti. I enjoyed that a yeah. lot. That was, I didn't know that that wasn't planned. No, small things, but like nice touches. Um, So this was nominated for quite a few things and won some of them. So Wilder won for best director which I'm always I'm happy to see Billy Wilder get an Oscar. I like literally before this podcast, like I knew vaguely who Billy Wilder was. Like I knew he'd done Sunset Boulevard and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But like the more stuff I've gotten to watch of his, the more I'm like, he he might be my favorite director ever. He is definitely up there for me. And I say that Top because five for sure. I've seen more of his stuff than I think I've seen of basically any other director. Yeah, Except maybe enough. Spielberg, but that's because he's more modern more and modern i've seen stuff. more of those yeah. but, but i mean I, wilder is up there for me for sure and i mean this this was no exception i did i did like it it's not my favorite one i think of his that i've seen but i did like it quite a bit i found it entertaining like thematically it's of its time and i had some issues with that but at the same time though i thought it treated some of those things in a very modern way i thought it put its sympathies in the right places See, that I totally agree with. We'll get more into that, though, as we go forward. Um, It won for Best Writing, Original Screenplay, IAL Diamond, and Billy Wilder won for that, because Billy Mm -hmm. Wilder also co-wrote this. Jack Lemmon was nominated for Best Actor, but did not win. Shirley MacLaine was nominated for Best Actress, but did not win. I know. Robbed. And um, I'm not sure who (laughs) did win. 
Do you want to look that up really quick while I yeah. continue? Um, Jack Krushchen, I think is how you say his last name, uh, was nominated for Best Supporting Actor. He played uh, the doctor, the neighbor. Mm-hmm. He, um, I really enjoyed his character. He was so good. Um, Dr. Dreyfus. And then it was nominated for Best Cinematography, Black and White. It won for Best Film Editing, and it was nominated. No, and it won for Best Art Direction, Set Direction, and was nominated for Best Sound. Um, actually a few years after this was released, the routine use of black and white film in Hollywood ended. Oh, interesting. So this is the last black and white Oscar winner until Schindler's List in 1993 and then The Artist in 2011. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to miss it. I'm going to miss our black and white film. I believe Elizabeth Taylor won in Butterfield 8. Gotcha. It was also ranked number 93 on AFI's Greatest Movies and then rose to number 80 on the 10th Anniversary Edition. It is number 20 on AFI's 100 Laughs and number 62 on AFI's 100 Passions. And at the time, it kind of got mixed reviews. Some people just really loved it, but there were some critics who took issue with the controversial depictions of infidelity and adultery. Those are the critics that are always just like, you can't show people having affairs, these respectable businessmen. And it's like, not so respectable, sir. Yeah, that kind of subversive view of, like, it, it seemed almost like a commentary on the rich and the powerful. It's it's 100%, it's like kind of a commentary on, like, workplace relations in the 60s. Yeah. Well, and I, I okay, I'm going to be honest, there was a kick-ass looking party in there and yeah. I'm like, it's an insurance company my, and they're having a party like this? My note what? during that scene was this movie <laughs> is just a giant HR hazard. I was like, this it's yes. just one massive HR issue. <laughs> like literally everything that was happening, I was like, mm, this would violate HR policy so badly. Yeah, so many or, people or I was like, get this, sued. Or I was like, that's fucking illegal. I mean that too. I mean, now it is. It obviously wasn't in 1960, which is, you know, it, this makes this movie an interesting commentary on that. So I was mad during a lot of the movie, but it was like a righteous anger. <laughs> but it had some funny moments too. It so did. It did for it sure did, have some It did funny own up moments. to the um, comedy. And I... I think in general, McLean and Lemon's characters were extremely well written and I, they were so likable, even though like they're not perfect people. Like no, they're both engaged in like some sketchy things, but we're like, we still like you and we support you because we understand why you're there, like how you yeah. found yourself there. And so I never felt like the movie wanted me to especially judge Shirley McLean's character, um, Fran Kublik. Yeah, I was really happy with their their depiction of her because it's kind of like they presented her. Well, one, I really appreciated that we got the very surface level, like just friendly elevator operator. And then we were able to actually kind of delve into everything behind the exactly, facade. which yeah. was I thought that was really which, cool. And you kind of get the same thing with women's character, too. Like he's they're like he's this guy who's just willing to do whatever for his superiors until it gets to a point where he's like, what I'm getting yeah. out of this career wise is so not worth, it's so not worth not being able to go back into my own apartment when I need to, when I'm sick, it's not worth the, watching what the behavior that I have been assisting mm-hmm. in is doing to other people. Like it's, you, we get to see such beautiful character arcs from their characters yeah. and they're so complicated, but still so likable. Like I just, I think the writing and the performances around those two characters, that, that is what carried the film for me. Yeah. I'd agree with that. I think with anybody weaker, I probably wouldn't cared, wouldn't have cared enough 
to actually Absolutely. finish it. Any, <laughs> I mean, any I would have, but. <laughs> weaker actors or any weaker writers, I think it would have just felt too cliche and too surface level. Yeah. Yeah. And predictable. There were a couple things where there were like some little misdirects that happened, mm-hmm. to, especially towards the end that I was like, that it actually got me because I feel like we've watched so many movies, especially for this podcast. And we've been analyzing them so hard that mm-hmm. it can be hard, especially within certain genres and tropes and stuff like that to like surprise you when you've watched a lot of movies like that. Like you kind of know where it's going. I want to know where you. There were just a couple brief things where I was like, oh, wait, is this taking a turn that I did not anticipate? Like, oh, you mean like the pop of the champagne at the end? Yeah, that got me. We'll get there. But that actually got me a little bit. Same. Well, and they did the the use of the sound like the the use of the musical score in the background also was really They they dropped it out at all the right times. Exactly. Well, and put it in at all the right times. So, again, used sparingly but effectively would be how I would describe that. Um, so do you want to start going chronological? We yeah, delve let's. more into those high-level observations? Yes, I totally agree. Now, before we get started, do want to like raise a heads up. This film deals with suicide and yes, all that stuff. we definitely so should. Um, if that's sensitive for any of you listeners, and, we recommend skipping this one. Yeah, I'm. it's going to factor into a lot of the conversation, and it um, definitely has like a big impact on the film. So I am going to say that if that is a trigger for you, probably just maybe skip the episode. Yeah. So there you go. And with that, uh, let's get into our watch notes. We start with this voiceover of um, the character of Bud Baxter Mm -hmm. talking about just New York in numbers, basically. Yeah. Well, and it has this beautiful shot of like seeing the entirety of what I presume is like middle and lower Manhattan. Mm Mm-hmm. And talking about like 31,000 employees. He led led them into end, assuming an average height of this, they'd go to here. And he's like basically going through all of these statistics and stuff that he would know as he's in the insurance game. And then it zooms into him in this room just filled with all these people at this desk, just like clanking on these machines that I'm still not 100% sure what those machines are. They're adding machines. Is that what an adding machine used to look like? I I think. My goodness. Um, I never thought I'd say this, but thank God for Excel. (laughs) Uh, Oh, no. Like Even though it crashes on me 20 times a day. (laughs) He's kind of talking about like his daily job and the humdrum of it. But we get this idea that Bud Baxter is an ambitious guy. Yes. He's going to rise. But now really quickly, I do want to say they do a great job of showing how likable he is right at the very beginning because he's like, here's this grind and he kind of nods his head and beat with the music and in time with with the the adding machine i liked that too so it was a fun little comedic aside that i'm like okay i think i'm gonna like you i think yeah we'll see um and then he kind of transitions to like sometimes i work late um not because i love my job (laughs) i felt that but because I (laughs) i know i was like i'm with you bud because he lets these other execs use his apartment which, like, how did this arrangement come to be? I He like, kind of gives the spiel to Mr. Sheldrake, where he's kind of like, basically, uh, one of my friends had, like, this gala they needed to go to or something, so they needed a place to get ready, so I, like, gave them the key, and then word got around, but I was like, one, who the fuck looks at their coworker and is like, hey, can I use your apartment for especially sex? Especially a subordinate. But again, this just was anybody and is like, hey, can I use your apartment, your home for sex? Hey, he's ambitious. And so who is like the ladder? Yes. I just anyway, I don't I, know. I would be I like, know. no, I live there. 
<laughs> it's not like his second home. It's not like an Airbnb that he rents okay. out. It's his actual home. So I was going to bring this up earlier, but now I'm, I think this is a good time to bring it up. Um, I was thinking... Me crashing at your house because I got drunk at a wedding does not That was not count. what I was going okay, to bring good. up. Okay, good. I was going to be like, it's not the same. <laughs> you were <me."> invited. <laughs> I, I okayed it first. Um, I packed a bag and I did not bring a rando home to sleep with and be like, oh, by the way, you need to leave your home so I can sleep with this yeah, rando. No, I was going to draw some parallels to the room (laughs) like actually the concept of having a relationship-based comedy take place mostly well sorry Ian, the room is a serious drama that sheds light on america like the american society and relationships but weren't there some young kids that like just took over the apartment to have sex they were just like friends of the main characters who just like walked in like had sex on their sofa i don't know i'm seeing the room as being inspired by this 1960 wilder drama i i'm like 85% 85% kidding. <laughs> I'm going to need you to be 99% kidding because this is Billy Wilder. We are talking about sex. Well, it's not Wilder that was inspired by Tommy Wiseau. It's the other way around. I just, <laughs> just hurts my heart. <laughs> I'm, I am being a little bit um, goofy, but also it was kind of like, I was like, oh, yeah, but you're like, weird. you're like, who agrees to this? How does this happen? <laughs> yes. And I was in the room too. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't understand why they no, would have done that. But also like, his subordinate or not his subordinates his um superiors are just complete assholes because he gets there the guy's not gone even though he said he was going to be out by a certain time they like not completely trash his apartment but they like oh they leave basically stuff. trash his apartment yeah they like leave like cigarette butts and like drinks out everywhere drink all his liquor leave yeah. some hair clips drink all his liquor and then the guy's like oh yeah you can order some stuff and put it on my tab and he's like cool but you also still owe me for the last two so i'm like great He's they're like not paying him back like they should like well and this is after his one boss said like and do what I'm a happily married man I'm like are you clearly are not you? clearly fucking not and it, like I'm I am far from old fashioned in the sense that like everyone has to be a hundred percent monogamous all the time but it's very clear there's that a this difference is there is a difference a between just being yes there is a difference between being in a non monogamous relationship and cheating yes there is a totally big agree. And this is not the former. Um, no, this is just straight <laughs> cheating. We also get a little bit of comedy here, though, after we're, like, feeling kind of bad for mm-hmm. Bud Baxter and being like, dude, how did you find yourself in this situation? Why would you let it get this far? Because of his neighbors. Oh, the Dreyfuses. The who are so nice, but they, they don't realize, obviously, what's going on. And they that just he's letting he's other like people, a ladies' man they, and has, like, like, multiple people over a night. But he's just, like, going <laughs> at it and having all these parties and all these women over. I love the line about having kidneys of steel. Was it lead or steel? Yeah, or? because Bud takes out all the empty bottles into the hall. And Dr. Dreyfus next door is like, are you going to donate your body to science so we can study why you're such a like stallion over here? Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, um, you're not going to be impressed, but sure. <laughs> so, that yeah, that, that was really, really funny. And we get some more after he finally sits down with his TV dinner, which let me just say, having him make this sad TV dinner just makes you want him to be like, you don't care knock, for him even don't more. Don't knock a TV dinner, Ian. Hey, no, 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 no. A TV dinner is fine. Many an oven pizza in my life. Okay, but that's not the same as like an... Uh, no, they set it like, up to be very sad where it's... And, yeah. And the thing that I actually related to more was the flipping through TV channels because he oh can't gosh. find anything he wants to watch. Here's a word from our sponsors. Did you did you realize it? Grand Hotel. Yes! yes. <laughs> did you realize it before they said it or after they said it? Um, When they gave the cast, I was like, I've watched this. Shit, what movie is it? They started giving the cast and I was like, 
it's Grand Hotel. And I wrote it down in my notes and then they were like, it's Grand Hotel. And I was like, fuck yeah, I got but it. But I love how then he switched to like three other movies and it was all a Western and they were all doing one, the like fight scenes. One and was then he a comes Western. Back. Well, it switches to the Western, then it switched to something else and he switches back to the Western. And it's basically him just like channel hopping and being I'm like, like... Channel surfing happened in the, the six, 1960s and, and as then well. It's, he comes back to the Grand Hotel and, and it's like... And now for Grand Hotel, but another word from our sponsors. And I was like, oh my God, it's like watching AMC. (laughs) It's just commercial. It's like 15 minutes of movie and then commercial, 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 commercial. Oh my God. I was like, I feel that I feel, I felt that like in my soul. Yeah. Which I love that that was still relatable. I I felt the exact same way. I was like, this is somehow still so relatable. But we, anyway, we get the idea though, that like, Bud's not happy. No, he's lonely. It looks like. He's lonely. He's frustrated. He's tired. He's like. Yeah, that's the thing. They did a uh, Wilder did a really great job of setting him up as being with the crowd, but apart from the crowd. Yeah. If that makes sense, he's he's doing what he wants to advance his career, but it's not making him happy. And it's like he knows he's not happy, but he doesn't know how to fix it. Right, right. So he's kind of like in the hamster wheel of. He, you get the sense that he's one of those people who thinks he's gonna find happiness throughly purely through workplace success and that Mm -hmm. his idea of workplace success is the classic like you work your ass off until you hit an executive level and then you've got it made and can have fun yeah yeah except no (laughs) yeah except that's but it but it's the classic i mean honestly it's like looking at this being like you're talking about wilder doing commentary Mm because i think in the sunset boulevard episode we it was a long time ago, but I'm assuming we talk about how like it was a critique of Hollywood and saying, here's the dark side of it. Well, like this, the apartment, here's the dark side of corporate America. Like it's not the American dream you think it is yeah. all the time. Yeah. God, I love uh, Wilder. I love his <laughs> social critique. And especially like we, he's in bed and he gets a call from one of his superiors. It's like, let me use your apartment right now. He's like, he I agrees. just took a sleeping pill. I'm in bed. It's cold outside. And the guy's like, it'll only be 30 minutes. Bull- bullshit also fuck no no yeah no and the guy like kind of gives blackmails him like with job advancement now i will say the shot of uh, the asshole superior and his uh paramour in the bar was gorgeous i loved it with him in the phone booth on the left hand side of the frame and the woman that supposedly looked like marilyn monroe like just smoking a cigarette facing away from this the camera loved that shot also Sir, didn't you supposedly have a family you're supposed to be going back to? Although I think at that time, a lot of them would have like... Late meetings. Well, yes, but you would also have people like commuting into the city. So you would have like all those execs who'd have like really nice houses, big houses Uh outside of the city. And then they'd like commute in and maybe have like... Well, I was going to say maybe have like an apartment that they stayed at during the week, but then they could just take the person back to their apartment. Yeah, no, I think they commuted. At least uh, Sheldrake did. Yeah. Sheldrake, yeah. Okay, so yeah, anyway, poor little Baxter uh, ends up sleeping on a park bench. He could have froze to death. Oh, but actually, have you seen Russian Doll? She did fr- freeze to death. <laughs> I haven't reached that episode yet. That's such a good show. Oh, sorry. Actually, that's it's not fine. a big spoiler. She dies a lot in that she show. Um, <laughs> um, but he comes in the next day with all these sniffles. He like sees both of the bosses that used his apartment. It's like, hello, Mr. So-and-so. I don't even, I didn't even remember yeah. their names. Well, basically one of them, the guy who 
I guess it was blackmailing him, was like, hey, I'm going to be sending suffi- uh, efficiency reports up to Sheldrake, who's like a big exec yeah. tomorrow. And um, I was going to put you in like the top 10 and be like, hey, this guy's... And they keep they keep using the same wording and it makes me so mad. But they're like, I was going to say he's like loyal and a team player. And I'm like, AKA, you can walk all over him because you think he's a fucking carpet. And then also I kind of want to be like, but they are only going to keep promoting you so far because they want to keep taking advantage of you. Yeah. Like, it's... They're going to promote you far enough to where, like, they think you'll be satisfied, but they will never promote you into a position where you could actually be like, no. Right. You'll always be under their thumb. Yeah. Which is, ugh, obnoxious. But we get introduced. Hashtag free Bud Baxter. <laughs> Don't worry. He frees himself. Spoiler. Oh, it took so um, long, though, and I felt so bad for him. It was also really frustrated. I was like, Bud, you don't have to do this. But we do get a really, the next morning, we get a great introduction to Fran. Kublik. And I Am I saying that right? Fran. Is it Kublik? Kublik? I th- like some people made it three syllables, some people made it more like two syllables, but close enough. Um, and so she's the elevator operator, and there's one this of them back really in the days when we used to have actual elevator operators to press buttons, which I'm kind of like, I, I understand why that profession is no longer a profession. <laughs> um, but she and he, meaning Baxter, have such a sweet exchange there. And I really like it because she says these fun things like, okay, we're blasting off, which I'm like, you have such great lines in here. It's she so comes across. Good. Do we? I would say, except for that they subvert this, that she would, at least when we initially meet Harry, she kind of falls into the stereotype of the manic pixie dream girl. Well, yeah, with Which, the short hair people haven't and the outfit. And, yeah. Talked about, like, yeah, because, like, short hair at that time was becoming more popular for women, but, mm-hmm. like, it still wasn't, like, it was still a little bit edgy. But it's this idea that, like, you have this female, like, you have this kind of, like, regular Joe male main mm-hmm. character who doesn't really have anything special about him, and then there's this girl who's, like, funny and quirky and, like, smart and pretty but not necessarily in like the conventional hot attractive way who like comes into his life and sweeps him off his feet and like she this really cool interesting girl falls for this lame ass guy but normally when that like man of pixie dream girl mm-hmm. stereotype applies you don't get any development in the female character right at all and it's more just like she's just there for this like male character's self-discovery which is usually a pretty lame self-discovery in this case there was like equal self-discovery yes. in this case they like set her up as like kind of and of course this is before the phrase like man at pixie dream girl was coined but they said <laughs> you her, don't say <laughs> yes actually but they set her up in kind of under that stereotype type vibe yeah but then they show us everything that's going on behind that they mm-hmm. give us her story mm-hmm. they let her grow as a character so like it's it's fun it is fun. It is fun. So instead, she just becomes this very like likable person, and we get to be like, oh, she's so fun and sassy, but there's yeah. also a lot of sadness behind it. Well, and there's – even in this first meeting, she just had some really great banter that made us – well, made me like her. Cause well, like then sh- just going back and forth. Like, you exactly. Have, you so, also have Shirley MacLaine and Jack Lemmon, who are two mm-hmm. actors who are so good at just delivering fast-paced banter. So it's yeah. a joy to watch them interact. Exactly. So Baxter says this thing about, did you know the average uh, New Yorker has two and a half colds per year? And she's like, I never get sick. Oh, that makes me feel sad because that means some poor bastard has to get like five colds a year to <laughs> balance out. And then he goes, yeah, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just so sweet. I yeah, like them Yeah, it's fun. And then we get our first like – Super, super blatant workplace um, uh, sexual harassment, 
when one of the guys like, oh, in the elevator yeah. straight up in front of this elevator full of other people just slaps Fran's ass. Oh, but then, oh, then Fran Her does retort, not lay though, down. I actually, Ugh. people in the elevator looked upset too. And I was like, but none of you are going to report this to HR and HR won't do anything. But she was like, one She's of these like, days, I'm going to close this door on your hand. And she like pulls her sleeve down so that there's no hand there. And I'm like, oh, And waves Fran, it at him. It's like, better watch yes. out. <laughs> I loved that part. And Love then we get that. a really inappropriate conversation where that exec, who's one of the guys who was using mm-hmm. um, Baxter's apartment, I don't remember which one. They're kind of all interchangeable, with that, the exception of Sheldrake, because we yeah, learn more he actually, about him. He's, but, um, he's more important. The guy's like talking, basically talking about her, and he's like, "Man, I'd love to sleep with her. We've all tried, but like nobody's gotten her." And basically, just has this really smarmy, gross conversation with Baxter. And Baxter's like, kind of, Baxter does the thing that like. People always try and do, and they're like, I don't want to rock the boat. And it's like, you kind of should in that yeah. situation. Like, just just flip that boat right on over. But he's, like, trying not to engage. Ba- Baxter right it's spineless now. Baxter. It's also 1960. Y- yeah. So, like, there's yeah. really no recourse for Baxter to actually do anything. Right. Um, right. But he he's, like trying so hard not to engage in the conversation and just have it end and he's like i don't know maybe she's just like not interested in any of you maybe she like has a boyfriend already like trying to get out of the conversation yeah he's like trying to end it and not be a part of it but baxter baby baxter you're part of it and then he immediately rolls into this really funny scene well it's funny but also disappointing so it gives you an idea of just how many people are doing this it's not just that one exec it's not just that two execs like there's there are a lot of people doing it is prevalent behavior yes and so he's like having to rearrange schedules to accommodate other people he's got like a scheduling book and i'm like dude what are you doing i know you're spending your well because he's sick so he's like i'm really gonna need my apartment and i like i have to rest and the guy's like and he had to call four people but you i already scheduled wednesday for me but i guess i could take her friday like yeah, the blatant it, disregard for the it's fact it's his, his apartment. fucking home. <laughs> <laughs> he lives there. He's sick. And then, so to like skip ahead just a smidgen. Stop kicking him out of his apartment so you can have sex all over his stuff. Right? Sheldrake, the personnel director, brings him in. Baxter fucking thinks it's for Sheld- promotion. To me, Sheldrake's the worst of them. Oh, Absolutely. I mean, they're all terrible, but Sheldrake's the worst. He's a spineless, selfish asshole. And he acts like he's not doing anything wrong. That, yeah, the entitlement is strong with this one. Um, But basically, Sheldrake brings him in, Baxter in. Baxter thinks he's getting a promotion. When what it really is, is an entrapment of Baxter to try and get Sheldrake use of the apartment as well. Well, he does get his promotion, but... it's There's some quid pro quo going on. Oh, a hundred percent. And I just want to state for the record, you don't have to say quid pro quo for it to be quid pro quo. Um, Noted. <laughs> like, like, legally. And especially under like workplace, especially when it's like sexual harassment, workplace stuff too. Yeah. Yeah. Or any sort of harassment Ugh. that is stated in every single HR or anything you ever get is they're like, it doesn't have to be stated a quid pro quo to be a quid pro quo. Right. Right. Um, if it is, if it, <laughs> if it walks like a quid pro quo and talks like a quid, quid pro, pro quo, quo, it's a quid pro quo. <laughs> um, that is so hard to say. It really was. I'm like, I'm going to try it and, and um, I made it work. But uh basically sheldrick's like yeah i'll give you permission but i'm um, also like this key you have floating around but he like the let's way make he, a second one the way he like gets to baxter about it baxter thinks he's in trouble 
Ugh. And then, yeah, like, but no then what Sheldrake is, is he's more like, no, I also want to use the apartment. We should get a second key made that I can have so that people don't have to see keys floating around. Because, like, my secretary's really nosy. And I'm like, or you're just an asshole and she noticed. I mean, we find out more about his secretary yeah. later, which, God, I loved her. Oh, same. I do want to say. The, she is the hero of our movie. Actually, yeah, I'm I'm okay with with her being nosy in this case. Oh, I I'm fully okay with what she ends up doing at the end of the film. But in this scene, I do want to call out that this the way that the soundtrack played in, it's kind of built up a little bit of that dramatic irony where I'm like, I know something's about to go down. Baxter doesn't know something's about to go down. Poor bastard. <laughs> Poor bastard Baxter. <laughs> um, but basically, he gets kicked out of his apartment this evening when he needs to go home and like sleep. sleep he get he did get tickets to music man out of it but yeah like, and then then it was literally quid pro quo like come yeah. on even though sheldrake, sheldrake gives these danced tickets. around it and was like oh i thought you were bright are, are you actually smart and uh insightful and all of these other positive attri- attributes that should Loyal, mean that you're picking up what i'm team player a wet blanket will let me do whatever i want and not yeah. say no so yeah fuck you yeah. sheldrake really right exactly um so poor guy. So, but then as he's leaving, because he, he has really two sweet. tickets to okay. the Music Man now. This scene I actually had problems with. Okay, explain. So, from a narrative standpoint, I am glad that they got to have some of this development and got to have this banter, back meaning between Baxter and um, Kublik. I feel like it also sets up some good things about Kublik's character too, though. Like, it's not just, like, their relationship, but the idea that she's, like, she is looking for a way out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like she is giving him this, the time of day, if you will. She's and giving like him the participating. chance. Like, yeah, like, she's, she's interested. I was not here for the, I know where you live. I know your social security oh, I know, number. I know, I, was I like, know your dog's I was like, name. I know you had your appendix out. Like, all I know, this I was shit. Like, I was like, like, Baxter, Baxter, that's creepy. You can't do that. Well, you can't do that. And that whole conversation that. was so awkward because it felt really one-sided I think it's supposed first. to be, though. Okay. Like I think it's I think it is set up to be like oh Baxter you poor bastard like and because we know Baxter we know that what he did is not malicious at yeah. all but it is it, it's very creepy and especially if she does not know him that well like yeah that would scare the shit out of me right and that's the part where I'm like I I I think that Fran was played very well here where it was like you couldn't tell if she was just humoring him or if she was into it or if she was just well she like when he's like i know so she's like how do you know all that stuff and he's like oh well like i looked at her file but and then she he, was like, okay with it he like and he like kind of like backs down like and he's being you know play he's like oh no i understand like you have drinks with somebody else um that's fine maybe at 8 30 but like maybe another <laughs> time after she's like oh i have plans tonight he's like oh maybe another time or anything and he like he kind of He's able to like recharm her and be like, "Yes, I did the creepy thing, but like I'm not doing anything with it." You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I'm not like, here to be predatory. No, like it was more like he was just curious about her, and so he looked her up and didn't think about how creepy that would be, or even how much creepier it would be to tell her that. But I like her response when he says something about the appendix scar. She's like, "Oh, don't tell people that because I don't want people speculating on how you know." Oh, and that gag comes back a couple times. I know, and I he's like, and, he, and then he's like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> I feel like that's when he knows he did something he yeah. should have done. But she, <laughs> at the end of the conversation, she's like, "Hey, so I still have to meet this person for drinks because he was going to be like, we could grab dinner beforehand and all this stuff." She's like, "Sorry, can I plain. meet you?" But she's like, "Can I meet you at the theater at eight thirty, like for the show?" And he's like, "Yeah," and he's really excited. Uh huh. And then he gets let down. So 
this next sequence of shots, I really loved the decision to have Fran meet with surprise Sheldrake in this bar and intersperse that with scenes of poor bastard Baxter at the theater (laughs) theater waiting outside while everybody's streaming in. And that really to be honest though, like it was the music man. It's not the best. Well, but it, it's about the principle. I know, Maggie, I know. No, I'm principle. I'm with you. I think I think standing people up is like the worst thing you can do. Yes. Because somebody has made time for you in their schedule. Yes. And then especially if you just don't show, but I think also canceling big plans last minute is really oh, shitty. Totally agree. Yeah. Um now this was the first scene where I was like, holy shit, Shirley McLean is killing it. Because the way that she plays the reaction to all of Shell Drake's like overtures is fantastic. Because he's setting it up. Based, this conversation establishes that they had been together for about six months over the summer, and then he or did she? They kind of broke it off. Basically, his family went to the Hamptons, and he stayed behind and had a fling with Fran. And then when his family came back, it ended, and she's kind of like look like we're done like i'm getting over you like i have other things but he's like bringing her to the bar that they would always go to having them play the song yep. they always listen to having them sit in the exact booth like it's so contrived manipulative oh yes totally agree and without any food is like okay we'll take a second round of drinks well he actually says like stay for dinner and she's like no i'm meeting somebody right and he's like Second round of drinks. drinks. (laughs) I'm like, dude, come on. But she had some beautiful lines here. So he makes a comment about her hair and she's like, I liked it better. And he's like, you know, I like your hair long. And she said, do you want a lock to carry in your wallet? Yeah. (laughs) Um, There was that. And the other line that I love from her is music to string her along by. I have that record music to string her along. That is the thing that is so tragic about Fran's character is that she is fully aware of what is going on. Mm -hmm. She completely understands that this relationship is not good for her, that it's she shouldn't be engaging in it because she knows he's married, that he shouldn't be engaging in it because he knows he's married. And that like she's just gonna get hurt. There's nothing good that can come of this, and she doesn't even want to be a part of it. But she can't help it. Right. And that's what's so tragic about her character to me is that like she's she's a hundred percent fully aware of what's going on, uh-huh. but she cannot get herself out of it. Which I until the end. Until she has a little bit of help. And that's the thing. I'm trying to figure out like why she can't get herself out of it. Because I think Fran's just as lonely as Baxter is. Yeah, that's fair. I think that's it. Is I think that they are both just incredibly lonely people who have found themselves in these situations that they don't want to be in, that they're not happy in, but they don't know something better to go to. Yeah. I've made bad decisions when I was lonely, so I get it. I make great decisions when I'm lonely, actually. That's not true. I once ate a whole pizza. (laughs) Once? (laughs) Yeah, I'm calling you out on that. (laughs) (laughs) The other times weren't because I was lonely. It's because I just like... You were hungry. I hadn't eaten all day, and I'd just like gone running or something. (laughs) Only once was I just like, I'm sad I'm eating this whole goddamn pizza. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) It was fine. It was really good pizza. I wasn't that sad afterwards. Exactly. There you go. So <laughs> no better. judgment. I'm just So calling. actually, again, great decision. <laughs> yeah. So we end the scene. Poor Baxter like stomps off. I don't know where. I don't know if he so much stomps off. He just looks really sad and dejected. Yeah. Well, not out of anger. He stomps off out of disappointment. And sadness. I mean, yeah. honestly, he's right to be mad, though. I would have been mad, too. At first, too. I was like, why didn't she tell him and let him know she wasn't going to come? And then I was like, oh, yeah, it's 1960. Nobody has cell phones. They barely have paid. I mean, she could have called the theater, but like, 
Would she? No. Because basically, a lot of work. They they whisk themselves out of that bar, meaning Sheldrake and Fran do so quickly because coworkers come in. Go, Ian. Oh, but wait, 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 wait! Before they go there, guess who walked into the bar? Miss Olson, Sheldrake's secretary, with those kick-ass glasses and the wonderful knowing looks when she takes them off and looks at them leave. I'm like, so freaking good, Miss Olson. So good. That actress did a great job too. Um, but yeah, they go to. Baxter's, Baxter's apartment. apartment. She stands him up for this asshole Sheldrake who's not nearly as attractive as Jack Lemon. But he's richer. Personality-wise or physically. And then goes to Baxter's apartment to sleep with Sheldrake. But she After- leaves her compact mirror mm-hmm. in his apartment and it's got like a it like it's broken. Yeah, so it's it is a notable compact. Yeah, because the mirror is cracked. Mm-hmm. And we know this because we get a super close up shot on it. <laughs> we do. When Baxter returns it to yes. Sheldrake. So Baxter has gotten his promotion, he's gotten his office. I love how they focused on the lettering of the office window and then later on the lettering of the like uh I guess directory board in the lobby of the building. Um to really hammer home that it's like, okay, here's your your climbing, name in shining lights. But at what cost? Exactly. Also, was it me or was that a condom in that compact? I don't know. I didn't notice. I, I was feel just like at the it couldn't have been being 1960. It might have been. No, surely there would have been. No, because we're still technically under Hayes exactly. Code. Exactly. So maybe it was just a powder puff. It I, was probably a powder puff. I don't know. Anyway, I was like taken aback was, like, for a second there and was I like, guess did they technically it could have been past? like a diaphragm because that was common birth control at the time. Yeah, I don't know. But I don't think I don't think they would have shown that on screen. Exactly. So I was confused. It was probably I was almost certainly a powder puff because it looked like a makeup compact. Yes, it did. It did. So I don't know. Anyway, that was a fun thing to note where I was like, holy shit. Um God, Ian, get your head out of the gutter. This whole movie is about affairs. <laughs> God damn it, Maggie. We're in the gutter. <laughs> That was reductive. It's not just about affairs, but they play prominently. Uh, Affairs of the heart. Oh, my goodness. And not just the heart. Um, So anyway. Sorry. (laughs) We finally get to what ultimately is the Christmas party scene. So a little bit of time has passed pretty, pretty clearly. I actually loved the shot of the... uh, I mean, this party looked bumping, but it is not the type of party you want at your workplace. No. They were, like, dancing on the desks. They were pouring alcohol into this, like, girl's doing, like, a striptease with her pearls. And I'm like, what is going on? Lots of people making out everywhere. And I'm just thinking In these, like, glass offices. So many bad decisions. I'm, like, HR would have a conniption fit. They would. I almost they had a conniption would. fit. So Baxter is three drinks in, but holds up four fingers, which I think I, is hilarious. Yes, and that came back too. It there was did. some really cute I little motifs between did this them. Multiple times. Oh, that's good banter um, right there. But anyway, he he finds Fran in the elevator and is like, "No, no, here, come join the party," and like closes down her elevator for her. And she's like, "But I don't want to get fired." He's like, "Don't worry about it. I will make sure you don't get fired." Yeah. <laughs> she's like, "How many drinks are you in?" He's like, three. Holds up four fingers. Oh, and we're like, so I great. love it. But this is where we get a... He goes to give mm-hmm. get Fran a drink. And Miss Olsen comes to talk to Fran. And the way... Miss Olsen's a little drunk. That Fran responds is amazing. Because Miss Olsen is telling Fran, I used to be you. I had an affair with Sheldrake four years ago. Then he tells you he's because Sheldrake had told Fran he was going to leave his wife. He's like, I'm going to divorce my wife. And I'm like, they fucking always say that. And they never fucking do. And that's when she says her line about like music to string her along to. But 
Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He, like, tells Fran, he's like, I've already talked to my lawyer. And she's like, oh, really? And, like, kind of buys it. But then Miss Olsen comes in and she's like, yeah, he told me the same things. It's always the same things. And then soon he had younger people or, like, younger women coming through. He had replaced yeah, me. And yeah. she was like, in names, like, three Literally all of the people, people. that work in the office. Mm-hmm. She, like, names, like, three other women in that office that, like, Sheldrick had affairs with. And she's like, basically, you need to get out. And I like that Miss Olsen isn't mad at miss olsen flat out says it's not you it's him yeah and i'm like holy she's not shit. she's not mad this at beautiful. i know it's women supporting women i was gonna say it but i feel like i was not allowed to <laughs> <laughs> but it's but she's not she is not judging fran at all she's not being like oh this little bitch like took my place or whatever she's like it's not you it's him he does this to everybody i it broke me up inside he's not worth it you can do better get out Hell yes, Miss Olsen. I just, you get it. I liked it. So that was the beginning but of obviously this Fran entire... is super shaken. Yeah. And that's the opening of this entire sequence where Fran just like gets more and more and more and more flustered. Because Baxter has his drink, comes back, kicks some a couple out of his office who were making out, which again, why? It's a, why? also a glass office. I just I don't get I don't get it. Um we have this whole scene. I'm not even I don't even work in HR and I'm furious. <laughs> Um, so we're in the office with Fran and Baxter and I'm showing her this like well, bowler hat. He and bought. I, here's the thing though. I, the way that they played it off was like, he's becoming more, becoming more and more and more like the people that he is enabling slash being taken advantage of by. Yeah. And that the he's, way that he's showing Fran that is he's blank. starting to become part of the club yeah. kind of, and because Fran has no idea that he's letting people use his apartment she has no idea that it was his apartment he was that she was in well but she knows that type of person in this exactly but like what i'm saying is like she's she doesn't even know that layer to it all she's seeing is that this was a really nice guy who would always talk to her in the elevator he would yep. take his hat off in the elevator which she notes that nobody else does and that he always like greeted her by name and was nice and never harassed her and everything and now she's seeing him be really excited about the promotion and mm-hmm. he's got the quote young executives bowler hat like she's seeing him become like this asshole who just was, yeah who she already knew was terrible but just had it confirmed when she thought things were going to be good again like right. yeah and i love how he kind of picks up what she's laying down he sees like that something's wrong but he's also three drinks in <laughs> maggie just held up four fingers yep. you, you can't hear her fingers through the no you can snapping that was more than four i i didn't know how else to make sounds (laughs) i was like i can't just flutter them at the mic it won't do anything (laughs) i didn't want to drum on the mic because that hurts my ears when i oh my goodness um but then i i can't quite remember how sheldrake comes up but he pulls out this oh christmas card with sheldrake's family sheldrake calls him on his phone because He's talking to Fran. He's noticed that something's off. He's like, has a hat on. He's like, oh, wait. He's like, oh, no, you don't like it? Like, I should return it? And she's like, no, no, no. Like, it looks And he puts it, it on a jaunty slant. Fine. Yeah. And he, they're like, he's like trying to banter but doesn't realize what's wrong. Then he gets a phone call on his office phone and he picks it up. And he's like, immediately sobered up. He's like, uh, this is personal. If you don't mind, like, I kind of have well, to take this. Yeah. The Christmas card like heightened the whole effect there because it was like Sheldrake plus his wife plus his two kids and Fran just sees this. Oh, gotcha. And is like, oh fuck, yeah, what's going so on? So then the call happens. She leaves Sheldrake the office. Wants use it's the Sheldrake on the phone. He wants to use the apartment for Christmas 
Eve. He's kicking this man out of his own home so that he can use his apartment for sex on Christmas Eve. Go home to your family or better yet, just divorce your wife, give her 50% plus alimony and she can go have a more fun Christmas on her own. Yeah. Now I do want to say Fran again had some amazing lines in this scene. So at the very beginning, she makes a comment about how just because I wear a uniform doesn't make me a Girl Scout. Like she has some superhuman because he says something skills. He says something about her being like the kindest, nicest Uh person that he's ever known, and she's like, "Mm, that was the first main one. And then on her way out with the compact, and this is where. Baxter finally makes the connection because Baxter wanted to see himself in the mirror. And so she shows the compact with the broken mirror. That's very distinct. realizes it's the same compact. And that's when he gets the call from Sheldrake. And her line, though, it makes me look the way I feel. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. So good. Basically, after just after he's had that realization that he gets the call from Sheldrake, which is why he then goes and gets lit. (laughs) Yes. And this is where... (laughs) I, this I think had there was more of the kind of comedy in this scene which I enjoyed so the thing that they did with the olives on the counter and kind of laying them out in a star pattern to denote how many martinis he was in was hilarious and then you also have this like woman at the other end of the bar just shooting paper straw wrappers at him to try and get his attention and he's <laughs> just so not funny. not like I mean he notices but he's just not he's not doing responding anything about it at all. I'm, like, I'm not even sure if he did notice though I think he did notice. I think he was just letting it happen. But then she finally gets up and comes Uh over and starts talking to him. And she's married, but her husband's in jail in Cuba. And she talks about writing a letter to Fidel Castro. Like, what? To get her husband out of jail in Cuba. Hey, I understand that's her story. But, like, she's also (laughs) completely lit. They both are. They are talking physical comedy. In this it's entire so bar good, scene. Because a great. lot of the time they're not even looking at each other while they talk. It's just these glazed, like, drunken talk, 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 expressions. Drink in unison. Talk, 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 talk. Drink in unison. <laughs> and they end up dancing at the very end of the night with just cheek to cheek, kind of like holding hands, dancing around the jukebox. And, and their whole conversation is just basically like, oh, what is it? She says, she's like, oh, yeah. I'm all lo- lonely tonight and I like don't have an apartment to go or back to or something. He's like, I have an, or an empty, she goes, I don't have like an em- nice empty apartment to go back to. He's like, I have an apartment, but it's not empty. Oh, but at the very end, he says, let's go back to my apartment. Everyone else does. Yeah. <laughs> so again, but, superb writing. Yeah. So that, their kind of thing is interspersed a little bit with Fran and Sheldrake have been fighting. Oh, and this is a kick-ass scene. It's lit beautifully. Fucking Framed hate beautifully. And I, yeah, I fucking hate Sheldrake. Basically, Fran calls him out on his shit. Yeah, and it's like, you're never going to leave your wife. And he's mad. He gets mad at her for calling him out on his shit. And I hate, there's one line, and I hate this so much, where he's like, what's the matter? You were always such a good sport. Oh, my God. He does and not he treat her. her oh. He does not treat her like a human being. He gaslights no. her constantly. It's his whole idea that he's like, "But you used to be so fun. Like, why aren't you fun anymore?" And his definition of her not being fun and not being a good sport anymore is that she's an actual human being who has emotions and feelings and needs and wants, and he is just destroying her. Yes. Therefore, she's no longer. Why isn't she being a good sport? Why? And she's why can't I there? just like have an affair with her and never commit to her and just like ruin her life? I don't know. But yeah, she's sitting not? there. And she's like saying these amazing lines like, when you're in love with a married man, you shouldn't wear mascara. So like, okay, again, she's a fully formed person. She's fucking brilliant. 
even if she can't spell, which they say multiple times. I, she can made, string honestly, words together Her being unable to spell just made me love her more because exactly. I too cannot spell. But yeah, there's multiple times when someone was like, why didn't you like write me or tell me about this or write to me about it? And she's like, well, I can't spell, so it wouldn't have been any good. Apparently she failed a typing test because she couldn't spell, not because she couldn't, couldn't type. type. So I'm kind of like, Again, okay. I feel that so hard. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. But th- the climax is they like exchange gifts. She gives him a thoughtful like record. It's, it's the record of the song that they would always play in the Chinese mm-hmm. restaurant that they would go to. Like she gives him this beautiful, well thought out, sentimental gift. And then he makes some mealy mouthed excuse about not having time to shop and gives her a hundred dollar bill. And her reaction to this, oh, just bow down. She's I... amazing. <laughs> was furious for her like you couldn't even bother to just go shop and get her something just generic well and she stands up and takes off her jacket and he's like what are you doing she's like well it's bought and paid for yeah which i'm like holy shit fran you are a badass i know you're doing it because you're like extremely distraught right now but that reaction is so She'll, like, it's like she'll cutting. cry in front of him, but she's not going to let him see just how devastated she is. Like she waits, right. she waits for him to leave to let the full devastation set in. But like the, yeah, him just giving her a hundred bucks. It's like, Ugh. which is a lot of money in 1960, but it is literally like, you're just like, he, yeah, he just for, for reference, that's actually around $800 in today's money. I looked up how much the apartment would have cost to rent, and it was six hundred. I just, I just had a thought, a and I was like, mm, "Would I be that mad?" <laughs> and I was like, "No, yeah, I'd still be mad. I'd still be mad. I'd still be mad. I mean, I would keep the eight hundred bucks. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, 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 yeah. But this is where. So again, if you did not listen to our earlier trigger warning, this is now when we have a scene where she attempts suicide. So yes, gonna leave it at that. She walks into she because she's like, I I gotta freshen up. And then he tries to, like, we'll talk again later and, like, give her a kiss and lay on. She's like, mm, lipstick. Oh, my God. Yes. Because oh, she talks about oh. how, like. It used to be that they would just kiss and it wouldn't matter. And now all of a sudden he's checking his watch. Well, she, she's like, when you're, when you are, yes, when you're dating a married man, like, suddenly you realize that it's, like, every time before we, like, he's constantly checking his watch because he has a train to catch every time. We kiss before he leaves. I have to check and make sure there's not, like, lipstick on him. Yeah. It's not, it's not a real relationship. When you're having to hide it. It's really not. She's devastated. She decides she's going to freshen up. She goes to the bathroom. And I thought she was going to see Baxter's name on the pill bottle and realize what apartment she was in. But apparently they did not put your name on prescriptions. And so she ODs on uh, sleeping pills. We just see her look at the bottle, put it back, look back at herself in the mirror, and then start to fill up a glass with water. And I was like, fuck. So then we cut back to Baxter and the li- Baxter and the, the lit lady in the bar, cheek to cheek dancing. <laughs> bar is empty. They finally get kicked out. They are so drunk. And he's like, yeah, no, you know what? Come back to my place. Because I think what you see there is that Baxter is feeling so low mm-hmm. that he's like, if I had any moral compunction about affairs before, I don't give a fuck. Also, her husband's in jail in Cuba. Like she, He's just like, yeah, you know what? Come back to my place. Everybody else does. Ugh. So Ugh. he takes her back. They're being loud. The Dreyfuses are like, he's got another one. Basically. Yeah, because... They always are. They, of course, knew that... Like, heard Fran... They can hear that people were over there previously. So they're like, oh my god, two girls in one night? <laughs> well, this is not the first time that apparently it has yeah. supposedly happened. Yeah. Um, but anyway, they get into 
um, the girl lady from the bar and Baxter get into the apartment and Baxter notices there's still somebody's gloves there. They're like somebody but left he's stuff. used to people right, leaving but he, it. Like people leave stuff. So, but yeah. he's kind of like, huh? So okay. he's like scurrying around cleaning up the apartment, has some fun music on, which he was like, what is this weird piano music? Toss well, it. And I love that the record has like, it's run out. Oh yeah. So it's it's a very like ominous. Yeah. 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 And so his uh, dancing partner is like getting ice ready and doing things so, and he's cleaning up. And yeah. I, why up did until, he go into the bedroom? Was it to put away gloves or something? I don't just know. Just like, I don't know, just like some mundane. It, he goes into the bedroom for some mundane reason. But that's when he sees Kublik on the bed. And yes. at first he's like, oh, what the fuck? He's like, you need to wake up and you need to leave. You need to leave. And then he realizes that she's not waking up. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to be honest. Up until this whole sequence, I was very meh on this movie. I didn't like Same. like I liked it fine, but I was like – some of the dialogue, especially from the execs, was like kind of stilted a little cliche. Yeah. Like I was like, I'm not getting a ton out of this. This sequence through most of the rest of the movie, but particularly this whole sequence and the stuff surrounding it, uh-huh. I absolutely loved. I thought it was so well done and that is what made me be like, oh, wait, this movie is something yeah. special. It was well lit. It was well framed. It was extraordinarily it acted. Also, I think addressed this attempted suicide in a very realistic and brutal way mm-hmm. as something like that should be. Yeah. Because he realizes that she's not waking up. He immediately, well, first he's just going to call 911. Then he realizes there's a doctor that's his neighbor. So yeah. he is going, he is running down the hall. He's banging. He sees the bottle, empty bottle of pills. He's banging on Dreyfus's door and he tells him, he's like, I have a girl who swallowed a bunch of pills in my apartment and I need your help, please. And I, Dreyfus just does it. Yes. Ugh. I like that Dreyfus, he asks questions, but he acts first. Mm-hmm. He immediately is like, I will get my bag. He goes, he goes over there and he's like, what happened? They get the other girl out and Dreyfus is like, what the fuck, man? Because... Baxter still is fucking covering for Sheldrake. Honestly, when this yeah. happened, I'd be like, fuck you all. No, this is exactly what happened. This guy's an asshole. Thing. He's like, he calls he calls Baxter cutie pie because it's like, oh, you had a fight with this woman and you immediately got another one. Like, okay. So then this other woman, because Baxter tells him that like he and Kublik had a fight and she tried to commit suicide over him. And Dreyfus is like, you asshole. Yeah. He really like gives it to Baxter. Which I'm glad. He Because Baxter, Baxter, even though it. like technically she didn't commit suicide over Baxter, Baxter, Baxter has been a participant. He's an enabler. An enabler he's in all, all of this. this. Yeah. He's not innocent. And jinx. Yeah. <laughs> Damn, now I can't talk for the rest of the pocket. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, okay. I'll just take this over. Now it's no. the end of the show. <laughs> Never. And over so, my cold, dead body. And so all things Zion happens and they're together and the end. Okay, cool. So next time on. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, that would, that would be such a disservice to the rest of this movie. You better not go to tell this podcast, man. <laughs> no, but it would be. Basically, Dreyfus is giving it to Baxter. Baxter needs to hear it. And Baxter isn't resisting. Baxter is an active participant in this whole thing. So yes. this was actually, I, I did not expect the scene to go on as long as it did, but I'm glad it that needed it did. To. It's so it needed started to. with the doctor trying to pump her stomach. You hear it's, them in the yes, bathroom. Yes, that was so important to me that you that you hear what's happening and you uh-huh. hear her retching. I feel like, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw it back to Gigi, believe it or not, where that one character that attempts suicide off screen Mm -hmm. and then the guy the uncle is like oh Gaston my boy congratulations your first suicide like they treat it as this like romanticized thing and it's not yeah at all and I like that the apartment 
straight up is like, this is a gross, ugly, nasty business that mm-hmm. is so scary and so awful. But and they get her up and like sort of awake-ish with yeah, smelling they have salts her, they have and her lots in, of slaps. Yeah, th- like, this bit too was so brutal. Holy the shit. doctor's like, put on coffee. And then you have Fran sitting in the chair. He's trying to talk to her. What's your name? What's my name? Do you, you swallowed well, pills? What do you remember? And they're going over and he's like, lucid. yeah, he's like, you swallowed a bunch of pills. Why are you here? And then he, she's like, I don't know. He's like, no, do no, you no. Know you this you man? swallowed a bunch of pills. Yeah. Do you know this man? She recognizes Baxter and is confused as to why he's there. And Baxter's and the doctor's like, wait, why is she confused that you're here? And Baxter's like, uh, don't worry about it. She swallowed a bunch of pills. But also, are you okay? I'm brewing coffee. But and then you get this. This was really rough too, where you uh-huh. have the doctor breaking the smelling salts and then just slapping her, and it's like full slaps. There's a lot of sound behind it. Like it's it's brutal. Yeah. I mean, he's not like beating her up, but he's like trying to save her life, keep mm-hmm. her awake. And between cutting between that bit with the doctor and Fran, mm-hmm. and then the shots of Baxter's reaction to it, like it it gives you Baxter's a lot finally of getting it. And it gives you it like as the viewer, it's so hard to watch because we want to do what Baxter wants to do, which is turn away. But he also knows that he shouldn't. Yeah. That he needs to see like mm-hmm. what he helped make happen. Yes. They finally get her up and walking. And this and, like scene, marching the the way that they shot it where you couldn't really you, you were focused primarily on them walking like their, their, feet, their feet moving. Yeah. And that was just like, oh, God, this impersonal, like, rote, you got to do this. You gotta We're going to trudge on. Ugh. And the whole entire time, um, Jack Crucian, who played the doctor, oh, yeah. is absolutely killing it. Because yeah. he's, he's questioning Baxter. He's mad at Baxter for this. But he, God damn it, he's going to save this woman's life. Mm-hmm. He is here for her. Well, and so is his wife the next morning, which I love that they're like, yeah. we don't give a shit about you, Baxter, but we are going to help any yeah, poor soul that is she's in your- there. And Baxter's clear. And the doctor also tells Baxter before he leaves, he's like, she's going to need to rest a little bit. Like we're over the mm-hmm. danger part, but she's going to need to rest. And also as a heads up, people who try this Do are likely to try it again. So you need to monitor her for a few days and make sure she's okay. And I I love that there is not a single thought in Baxter's mind that he won't do this. Yeah. You actually see him go through and try and clear out anything that could be of danger he, or used yeah, to. He's like trying to like wash his face or something and he like takes the razor blade out of his razor. He gets the like backup blades he has and he like puts them in his pocket. Um I think there's something else he puts away, like a bottle of some medicine. Yeah. yeah. It, he's so concerned and he realizes like the full weight of like what's yeah. happened and what he's helped happen. He's going to like cook her food and stuff when she wakes up. And that's when he goes to Mrs. Dreyfus because he's like, I don't have anything I to have no cook. Food. And she's like, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. Uh, she's like, I will put something together. Not for you, but for her. She's <laughs> yeah. like, Mr. Dreyfus told me everything. <laughs> there are no like, secrets. <laughs> yeah. And I literally, he's like, no, fair, fair, fair. Uh, but and then I, she gets on him for not having real napkins. Oh, it it's so good. So it's Christmas Day now. Mm-hmm. And Baxter... Trying to like be sort of good, I guess. Calls Sheldrake at home. Sheldrake have is they already such been playing? They've been ass. playing gin rummy though. First, too, he gets her playing gin rummy. Was that before? I, I think it's before. I think she's still in bed because she's still pretty hopeless. And oh, okay. He's like, so basically, I'm jumping way ahead. Yeah, she like, has such. We get all of her backstory now because she's yeah. like, I always fall in love with horrible people. Like even the first time I was kissed in a graveyard, like I was doomed from the start. And I'm like, yeah. 
No, you're not. Then, I know. But then she, I mean, you have bad taste in men. We're not going to lie. But, you know, you but can fix that. This is where, especially in that scene, and you this, get this, this beautiful This is, I think, too, where I got the idea of, of, like, how lonely she feels. Even though, yeah. like, she's like, I live yeah. with my sister and her husband. Um, but, like, I, like, it, it just doesn't sound like she has, like, a ton of friends. Like, you, get, again, get the idea that, like, these are just two really lonely people. Yeah. Two very nice but misguided and lonely people. Yeah. This and... is like the darker version of Marty in that sense. But the way that they shot her in bed, I was such a fan of because it's soft, beautifully lit. And but it actually she, reminded but me. But she of... isn't super glammed up. Like she still looks like sweaty and gross and like she's been through fucking hell. But I just, I, I don't know. It was, it was sweet almost. I don't know. I, yeah. I, I just really appreciated that. And now how they call, um, baxter nurse <laughs> yeah which was which was really sweet but they're playing this game she's telling him the story and it's like like you said now we really know and she's like not super into she's like i'm terrible at this game he's like no well, then i'll teach you like he's trying so hard to be like let's get you doing stuff let's get your yes. mind on not the horrible thing that just happened like let's let's power through exactly but then he has to run out and get something and sh- he calls sheldrake first because he's like, uh, Sheldrake should probably know. And I think in Baxter's mind, he's like, oh, Sheldrake will feel bad about what he did. Sheldrake's not going to feel bad about what he did because Sheldrake's no. like a fucking narcissist psychopath. And he's basically sociopath. like, no, I can't do anything. It's Christmas. I'm with my family. And I'm like, okay. Fucking. Now, here's where I was actually not pleased with Baxter's decisions is his blowing smoke about Sheldrake's actual opinions and what Sheldrake actually said. This is not the best choice that well, Baxter yeah, makes. Baxter is out of, I guess, some sense of protecting Fran is basically saying that, oh, Sheldrake, Sh- excuse me. Sheldrake, he, tell, he falsely tells her that Sheldrake is concerned. When Sheldrake doesn't give a fuck. Sheldrake's with his family doing whatever. Yeah, and I, th- I think Baxter thinks that this is a simpler fix than it is. Because then he's like, why well, I have to run, I have to run out and get us more food anyway. Um, But I think you should talk to him. Ugh, and then he gives her some bullshit. And I just, I anyway, sorry, I, uh. Uh, not ideal i agree i hate it i hate it i agree it. it was a bad choice um baxter comes back he runs into the landlady who's like i smelled i was just about to like try and get the key to get to your apartment because i smelled gas and i was like really concerned about you and so of course baxter's freaking out because he's like great she put her head in the oven like i was thinking the same thing i was too, i was like you gotta be fucking kidding me but he goes in and actually Fran's fine. She was like, I was just trying to like, what was she trying to do? Wash her clothes. Oh yeah, wash her stockings. <laughs> and she's like, well, I was washing my stockings. I figured like I might as well wash your socks is like a nice thing to do since like you're helping me out. And he's like, oh my God, I thought you would like try to commit suicide again. And she like walks into the kitchen and she's like, oh, what's that smell? He's like, the gas. He's like, she was like, oh, I turned it on to like boil the water. And he's like, you didn't light it. And she's like, oh, do you have to? And he's like, yeah, this stove is really old. <laughs> So it's this like misunderstanding, but he, like we're seeing that Fran's doing a little bit better. Like she's starting yeah. to heal a little bit, and like back, Baxter is just like, "Oh my god, please don't scare me like that." Well, and then they have this kind of in in this whole set of sequences, they have this kind of flippant conversation about when Baxter apparently was going to try and commit suicide as well. Which, like, I get that that was supposed to be comedic relief, and I think it kind of was, but I was also like. I'm not sure how to feel about this. I think I think it, again, shows you how lonely and sad of a person Baxter also is. And it gives you something about these two characters where they both they both put on such a positive demeanor. Yeah, to but a, they're kind of the same. In, at work and in public, but they are both so sad and have gone through, like, some very tough stuff. 
No, but it is it is like this kind of like darkly comedic moment because they are being very flippant about it. But they're also discussing really heavy shit. Yeah. But again, it's that like bonding between them. Also, like, I don't know. I feel like that's realistic. Like when you're like, I have to kind of joke about this because it's like really dark. And if I don't joke about it, I'm going to cry about it. I joke about dark things. So I do too. I, like, I get that. We get it. Um, so they're having this fun moment. We get some scenes in the office where it's this is where the lost weekend reference comes in because yeah. neither of them have shown up to work. We also see that this. Uh, tough looking leather jacketed dude comes in and asks about well Fran. first one of the guys who's been using the apartment one of the sketchy execs is like soup comes over to the apartment with a girl oh that's right that and happens. is like i have an appointment and baxter's like Get no the fuck you don't out. you don't <laughs> and then he steals his champagne <laughs> yeah and the guy's really mad but he's, he also sees fran like and sleep immediately on the bed. jumps to conclusions. Yeah, and that might have happened a little bit earlier or something when she was, still wasn't like fully up. One thing up, this but... movie does is intersperse scenes a bunch. And I loved it from a pacing perspective, but it also means that I'm having a lot harder time keeping all yeah, of the I mean, chronolo- chronology straight. We're, we're trying to do them roughly in like chronology as it matters. Like when exactly he the guy came over and saw Fran on yeah, the but bed we know doesn't that matter. But it, it happens before the brother and that's the important yeah, part. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so he, of course, goes to the office and is like fucking telling all the other Ugh. smarmy execs about it. And he's like, huh, who would have known Daxter's got himself a girl? Ha ha ha. And we're like, fuck you. That was my smarmy exec oh. voice. And then they have this really sleazy conversation with Fran's brother-in-law in the room where it's like, oh, should we help this guy out? I don't know. Baxter hasn't been very it. helpful lately. Yeah. Like, yeah. They're like, he hasn't done anything for us lately. I'm like, you all suck. Just stop. He can't say no once. Just Apparently not. Stop. It's his uh, home. That he pays. Okay. The level pays, of entitlement uh, just brings yes. out all of my rage. Which but, I love. But yeah. So the <laughs> brother-in-law who's like the tough looking taxi driver guy goes to Fran's work because he's like, oh, my sister-in-law hasn't been home in two days. We're kind of concerned because Fran has also said multiple times. She's like, I should call my sister. I should call my sister. And Baxter's like, okay, well, what are you going to tell her? Oh, and she is, does not have her story she has set. She no story. To, and he's yeah. like, do you want to tell her that, like this? And she's like, uh, no. And he's like, okay, well then. Let's hold off. <laughs> and, and Baxter still is also trying to protect Sheldrake, which at this point, I, I'm like, why are Baxter, you protecting stop. Sheldrake? Don't protect him. Like, this is where I started to get actually really annoyed with Baxter. Yeah, because so, I'm like, why are you still protecting him? It and took why him... are you impugning your own integrity yes, for him? I thought it took a little too long for Baxter to say no, but when he does it, it's glorious. It is very so. satisfying. So anyway, brother-in-law makes it to the apartment. There's some like because the execs tell him it's Baxter, which honestly, okay, this is another thing though where I was like, 1960s mores and standards. Although honestly, with the fact that they're talking about affairs and that there is no judgment on Fran as a person in a lot of this, I think they are treating it very modernly, Mm -hmm. like treating like sex and uh, sex out of marriage, like very modernly. But and especially by saying Sheldrake is the one with the problem, not you. Yes. Yes. And the fact that like, no one's like, Oh my God, this unmarried young woman is like having sex. Ah, like (laughs) nobody's really scared about that as they have been in other movies we've watched. But, um, the fact that like the brother-in-law is like i have to go over there and get her i'm like she's a grown-ass adult if she wants to like stay with this guy for a couple of days like she definitely can now if those execs had been like oh yeah i was over there and i saw that she had a black eye and shit then you go over there well, and you'd yeah. be concerned but like because yeah immediately we switch to the scene where or they're maybe like you drop by or maybe you just like knock and drop by and you're like hey we just hadn't heard from you in a couple of days next time can you telephone we we're a little worried yeah, yeah. but i like if you're good i'll just go tell like 
your sister that everything's good. So basically you don't like the the views of the day. I No. I don't blame you. Are we, are we shocked by that? <laughs> no, we're not shocked at all. I'm just like summing it up for, yeah, for yeah. everybody. Yeah. <laughs> but we get this really sweet scene with the banter, with the like, I'm using a tennis racket to strain spaghetti. He makes them homemade spaghetti. I like you that. You should see my I backhand love, okay, with the meatballs. I love that oh, he cooks so for her. Sweet. Yeah. Instead of it being like, oh, she's so thankful. She'll cook for him now. She and then he'll for be him like, oh, she cooked for a her. homemade meal Wait. from. No, but then he'll be like, I mean, she did like help wash his socks, but she's like, I did it because I was doing my own and yeah. I thought this would be nice. But it wasn't like, she was like, oh, I'm so thankful. I'll cook for you. And then he's like, oh my God, a woman cooked for me. I know what real food is. I'm in love with you. It's not like that shit. It's like he cooks spaghetti, which also shows you that like he can cook and likes to cook and stuff but he just didn't feel like he wanted to because he was like i don't have anyone to cook for and like do the sit down dinner with so instead i was eating this really sad tv dinner that i hated oh it just tells you it shows you like just how sad he was yeah i'm only that he was because they like have this whole spread going she's like lighting candles and and i like that she's like are we dressing for dinner oh yeah come as you are and she's like in his comfy looking robe this was really sweet for both of them i liked it a lot but then the brother-in-law ruined. shows up. Now there are God some hilarious moments here. So like they're like kind of come start to maybe have some fisticuffs. The brother, they don't actually. Well, she's just like, don't in, do it. He As he opens the door, though, because she's talking about playing gin rummy again. Yeah. <laughs> and he goes. I promise to go easy on you and I won't, as he's opening the door and I won't take advantage of you like I did last night. <laughs> uh, yeah. I for- and then oh, the brother-in-law so sitting good. there and we're all like, ooh, phrasing. The timing was so off, but so on. So good. <laughs> so bad yet. So good. Because then the brother comes in, he's being all tough. He's like, your sister likes to think you're a lady. And I was like, fuck you, sir. And her sister. <laughs> Fran but can still be kinda, a lady. They're they're about to fight. Also, she's been through some shit layoff. Yeah, Fran's like, okay, no, don't fight. I'm just gonna go. I'll go change. Fine. And then I love this. The, so Baxter is like, I'm gonna give you a piece of my mind. And then instead of doing that, he's like, Do you want a martini? <laughs> <laughs> he like tries to tough guy, but he can't. He's like, I know really, this is not gonna happen. It's really adorable, and I love it. Oh, uh, um, I loved. I really did. Which too. again, Baxter's so likable because Baxter's like, I know this looks bad would you like a martini he's just like trying to make small talk and like slowly getting more and more panicked and then what what is it that makes the brother finally punch him it was uh what was it because it was important because he basically took one for fran like literally oh fran admits that she's been there for two days because she swallowed a lot of pills but what does he say because she goes they had to who's like why have you been here for two days she's like because i they had to pump my stomach and he goes why because i took a lot of pills and the brother-in-law says, why? And she's about to tell him about Sheldrake. And oh, Baxter goes, and because when, of yes, me. Yes, and that's when he gets the punch. And the brother clocks him, which Jack Lemmon actually did take a punch because he didn't move in time for the fake <sighs> punch. So he took the punch. And they used, that's what the cut that's in the film. Whoa, that's yeah. awesome. But then Fran has her like, oh my goodness, reaction, which of course Baxter slumped against the, the wall. And, and he's, he's bleeding like, from his days. mouth and like this days because Fran comes over and she like thanks him and like kisses him on the forehead. And then Dr. Dreyfus comes in because he heard the commotion. He's kind of like, you deserved this, but we also have to get you patched up. <laughs> and That's Baxter's like, no, nah, man, I feel great. Because <laughs> he's in love. Yes. 
And so that's when um, we are rapidly approaching the finale here. So he, it's clear the next day at the office that he is going, okay, I had a little bit of problem with the way that they were framing this conversation about Fran. So Baxter comes in and he's like, okay, he's rehearsing the speech about how he's going to tell Sheldrake that, hey, I'm going to take Fran off your hands for you. It's no longer a problem. All that fun stuff. Yeah. I wanted to be like, "Mm, Fran was never the problem. And I'm kind of like, well, she's not property, but I'm glad you love her. It's also like, it's one of those things where you're like, "Mm, that's probably not how you should handle it. But as somebody who's about to confront his superior at a time when you did not necessarily have like the HR recourse or the workplace protections against yeah. like just randomly being fired for like non-work related things Maybe that we do today. Framing was okay. Like eh. given given the power structure and given Sheldrake's personality, I feel like that's the way he would have to phrase that for it to go remotely okay with Sheldrake and for him not to still have a lot of consequences. Although at that point I'm like, dude, cut your losses, go work somewhere better. But yeah. And he's got an apartment he's got to pay for because clearly the people using it aren't paying him rent. Yeah. So he goes up to the office, and you know what I love? That Sheldrake, Sheldrake uses the exact same word. Exact wording. same but wording. But when Sheldrake says it, I always have a problem with it. I mean, yeah, because Sheldrake, Sheldrake, it's transactional for Sheldrake. Because Sheldrake's like, oh, you don't have to take care of her anymore. Not, you know what I mean? It's not yeah. like, I love her. I want to, like, be a life partner with this person. But we also, oh, so in this, we also come to find out. That Sheldrake's wife has been like, oh, you've been sleeping around? Okay, leave. No, and no, 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 no. This is, is because. This is not yet. So no, it's in that same scene because he has Sheldrake's wife doesn't there. know yet because he hasn't fired Miss Olsen yet. No, he's fired Miss Olsen at this point. Well, why did we, we talk we about it? We missed that part. Ian, fuck you. We gotta go back. <laughs> no, because I love that scene. We can talk about that scene. I just, it fell somewhere before this scene. I don't remember where. I thought it happened after this scene. But anyway, Fran had told him on the phone that Miss Olsen had told her about all the other women. So... Sheldrake straight up just fires Miss Olsen. Miss Olsen is like, you know what? Fuck you. Calls his wife and is like, yeah, so I have some information you might really want to know. Let's go have lunch. The reason he's willing to, quote, take Fran off of... because his wife has left him. Or as Mm -hmm. I quote, fired him. Mm -hmm. What he first says is he says, I've left my wife. And I was like, nah, bitch, she loved you. That's not how that works. You don't get to see that say that you're divorcing your wife or that you're separating from your wife or that you or leaving your wife she when she you. found out about your Bullshit. cheating ass and then she dumped you. Like, no, 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 no. You, you get, get to, to be like, face. this is what you get to say. I'm a fucking asshole. My wife finally realized it and left me. Yeah. But in the same breath, apparently uh, Baxter's getting promoted to assistant director in this really fancy wood paneled office. So he's basically sold his soul now. When did Fran decide that she and Sheldrake were getting back together? Around the same time. Around the same time. Yeah. I can't remember if she she does like say something to Baxter about it. Yeah. So they're in the lobby. This was He's, a really good misdirect. Oh, I loved this. I love this shot. Um, so they're in the lobby. We're watching Baxter's name get put up as assistant director on the directory. Um, but Fran and Baxter are talking and they're like, Oh, what's going on? How's life? Does she ask him if she if he like wants to grab a drink or something? I think so because she's not because he's wanting like, to see Sheldrake until the divorce settles. Yeah, down. she's like, we're not. I like, don't want to see him until the divorce is settled because of like the way things look. Um, and he's like, oh no, I actually like I have plans with somebody and kind of like gestures to, to this like very pretty woman who's like across the lobby near like their like newspaper mm-hmm. stand. And she's like, oh yeah, no, totally, I get it. Like I'll see you around. He's like, yeah, okay. So then she walks out and he starts walking towards the newsstand. And as he gets close to that woman, another guy comes in and he and the woman link arms. And Baxter just walks by her and like grabs himself a magazine. 
Yeah. And so now all of a sudden it's New Year's. Baxter comes in and is like, here are all the figures. And Sheldrake's like, oh, you're working too Baxter's actually doing his fucking job. Yeah. And this is when, yes, athletic clubs, stag only, need to use the apartment. Baxter's like, fuck no. But what I love is we think, and this misdirect was amazing. Sheldrake, again, tries to blackmail him. He's basically like, I made you and I can undo you. Yeah. And we see the, like, with Baxter's reaction. And given to the fact that, like, up until this point, blackmailing him for his career has worked every time. Yes. We're so disappointed because yeah. Sheldrake was like, oh, yeah, when I heard about the suicide, I had to throw away that spare key, like, out the train window. So can I use yours? And I'm like, oh, great. She, like, tried to kill herself. And your first thought was like, I can't get caught. Ugh. Like, no. <laughs> Fuck you. Again, Sheldrake's a slimy bastard. Oh, he's the worst. Um, But the way that we see... Baxter pull out a key. Yeah, and it's just he's so defeated looking when he gives it the key. I thought for sure... Me Like, too. you think it's the key to the apartment, and it, it like, hurts your heart. Well, and it hurts Baxter, too, because you see him kind of like, ugh. Yeah. He goes into office. He closes things up. He's getting ready to go. Well, because either way, he loses something. Yeah. Yeah. But we didn't Luckily, know which. he sacrificed the thing we wanted him to sacrifice. The job. Because, oh, and I love it. Sheldrake walks in and is like, you gave me the wrong key. He's he like, obviously is not picking up what Yeah, and Baxter's, Baxter's like, no, down. I gave you the right one. He's like, it's the key to the executive washroom. And he's like, basically, like, I'm not letting you use, like, I'm done. Like, no, uh, you can't take anybody it. to the I apartment. You especially can't take it. her to the apartment. Because he specifically says you can't take anybody. You especially can't take her. Yeah. So then we cut to New Year's Eve. Yeah. He's Baxter's packing. packing. He's leaving. He's got to leave out. that apartment. And dude, I get it. Although it's a pretty big, nice apartment for New And York. you know what? You know how much he spends on that apartment in today dollars? I don't want to know. But you do. 670 today dollars per month for a one-bedroom apartment next to central park yes i'm just throwing that out there so we get this really sweet scene with dr dreyfus coming over and being like oh do you want to come over he's you got a hang bottle out? of we champagne like he's like well he didn't or no well he didn't um but he needed ice baxter gave him the bottle baxter, of champagne oh he's, like, he's going to yeah. but then dreyfus is like we don't need more booze but he's like yeah we got all these like doctors and like some nurses over there like come party with us like we'll be sad to see you leave yeah which was like oh i don't know why you're sad but I appreciate that you. Well, because I feel like, like Dreyfus was like he learned his lesson. <laughs> yeah, after that, um, and then my favorite, my favorite. I've said this like for multiple scenes, but we get the all things sign scene. Well, while during the packing scene, we see the gun. Baxter still oh, has the gun. Oh, that's right, that's right. And then we cut to Sheldrake. He's been and kind Fran. of sad in packing. Yeah, and we're so we like, don't know what's going to happen. Oh no! Don't like where this is pointing. Nope. The gun is on the wall. Um, so, Which means you have to fire the champagne. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get ahead of yourself. No Check spoilers. Check out champagne. Oh, my goodness. I want Check out champagne. Oh. Um, so, I left my bottle of Prosecco at Lola and Andrews. Ah, oh, damn it. Yeah. Um, so Fran and Sheldrake are at a party. It's a New Year's party. Fran, They're at that same restaurant, right? It's, it's, it's at the same restaurant know, in it? the same booth, I think, oh, okay. right? It was so packed at this the bar. Time that yeah, I it's tell packed it the because same. it's New Year's Eve. They are both lit and framed gorgeously throughout this bit because yes. they're dressed up for New Year's. She's wearing like a crown. 
They're talking about Baxter for some reason. Well, Sheldrake's like, that asshole Baxter, like, I couldn't take you to his apartment. So we have to go to Atlantic City. Yeah, because he's like, we're going to go to Atlantic City. She's like, wait, why are we going to Atlantic City? He's like, it's the only place you can go to a hotel room. Because, like, that asshole bastard won't, Baxter won't let me use his apartment anymore. And he, like, just straight up and quit. Because he was like, you can't take girls there. And you especially and can't subtlety, take Miss, you especially can't take Miss Kublik. And she's like, hmm? The subtlety of the expression on her face. The way it changes. Because, gorgeous. I mean, and you can tell going into that scene that she's not happy. It's not no. like she's, like, having a good time with, um, she's what's his name? She's sitting quietly in the booth. Being like, why am I here? But when she hears that Baxter was like, you can't take anybody. She's like, okay, good. You especially can't take her. She's like, I'm listening. And this is this, they, they did, this has been done a couple times where they kind of build some like, oh, you don't know what's going to happen. So they go into all things Zion, the lights go low for it. She's the only one not singing and having a good time. Yeah. She's just kind of like lost in thought. And we're like, go to him go to Baxter. The song ends, the light comes off, and all you see is the crown in her seat. Thank goodness. And yes. we get the, the stereotypical running scene, which... I'm her, here for it. I, I'm, I'm, well, I am I'm Especially well. because it's the shot of her running up the stairs of his apartment complex. And, and you hear a pop. We hear what sounds <sighs> convincingly could be a gunshot. And she bangs on the door and is like, oh and, my God, what's the, going the on? But the change on her expression, because she knows he has that gun. Yeah. And she knows, she's just a look on her face, and then it's total panic and she's on the door she's pounding on the door i love the parallel between that and, and then when he knocking on the, the gas, doctor door as well that and then also when he thought because of the yeah. smell of gas like oh everybody helping everybody yeah and she's frantic she's pounding on the door and he opens it and he's there with the open bottle of champagne he's it's like just hey, spilling over hey like what, what's going on and she's like oh my god i thought you shot yourself he's like no <laughs> it's all good why what what <laughs> but then she goes into the apartment and he pours her a drink and he's like kind of confused as to why she's there, but he's like really happy she's there. And she says something. I think, did someone ask about what sh- happens with Sheldrake? And she says, I'm just going to send him a fruitcake every because Christmas. Because when he was telling her the whole story about like when he wanted to kill himself over a girl, it was like his best friend's wife. And he was like, yeah, I got over it though. After like, he's like, after I shot myself in the knee, I got over it in three weeks. He's and like, she you'll just be sends fine. me a fruitcake yeah, every Christmas now. She just now. sends me a fruitcake every Christmas. Ah, uh, so that was so she's such... like, I'll send him a fruitcake every Christmas. And then they sit on the couch and she's like, picks up the score pad for their gin rummy uh-huh. games and the deck of cards. And, and she's she just like, goes into well, it. Well, she's first, she's like, split it. So explain the deck to see who deals. And he's just like looking at her so lovingly and adoringly. And then he's like, like Miss Kubrick, I love you and I adore you. And she just looks at him and goes, shut up and deal. Shut up and deal, I think. <laughs> but it was so that it's just such a sweet ending. Yeah. To a movie that I was not sure I was going to be so on board with for the first half. It it took me on a lot of turns. Yes. This movie did. Because at first I was meh. And then I was like, I am super into this. But this is so dark. Like, it, it became very Lost Weekend. But the optimistic ending fit better than Lost Weekend. Yes, it did. Wilder is so good about just doing, like, stories that are commentaries on, like, bigger systems or societal aspects. But... F- showing you that commentary through these like very well written in-depth changing relationships between like two or three characters yeah in a way that is just every single time oh yeah so good i'm a fan so yeah i think oh shit i need to rank it (laughs) it's been a while since we've recorded a canon episode it's been like what a month since we recorded a canon something like that so i'm i'm like oh this was nice go see the movie do it i like it awesome now Now i have to actually like it's so much easier when the movie's bad. <laughs> it, oh, or good. 
like fantastically good. Okay, I know where I want it now. Okay. So for me, I'm going to put the apartment at number 16. And so that is after From Here to Eternity and before you can't take it with you. So in terms of the thematic content of the apartment, I appreciated how kind of countercultural it probably would have been at the time um, in a way. And it like made you think and was actually critical of some of these like institutions, whereas you can't take it with you was not that at all. a little bit but was a little, little bit. That was more about like, let's cut across class lines. I'm making a face at Ian um, that's like, was it really? It, it wasn't really, which is really like, it was enjoyable. It was fun to watch, but it just didn't make me think as much. Now, from here to eternity, I just liked. I thought the depth of the characters. And that's the so I, in from here to eternity. So like in the apartment, I felt like we had three really, really phenomenal characters yeah, but from here to eternity was like everybody. And was like great. Sheldrake's a good villain. But we didn't. Yeah. But okay. he's not layered yeah. in the same way. And like I felt, because I have it under from here to eternity too. I have it oh, okay. after from here to eternity. It's number 13 for, 13 for me. Yeah, 13. Yeah. So I just under didn't get from the here punch to eternity. Of the characters like I did in from here to eternity yeah. is really what it comes down yeah. to. Same. I just, I felt like there was, like, think about like the character of Warden, which in a lot of the same ways is a lot like. Kublik to and like Baxter like uh-huh. where he's like having an affair and he's like tough on his men but also he like is there for them when he like there was just there were more in-depth characters in From Here to Eternity and I was kind of gripped by From Here to Eternity from the beginning whereas like the apartment it took me a little bit to settle into yeah. Well, and I do like that even the villains in From Here to Eternity, it's like you said, they were multidimensional With like still. one exception. There's like the one MP that just is like a horror person. Right. But, but literally part, every character except Dreyfus, Baxter, and Kublik were very pretty shallow. Yeah. Now, the three that I just mentioned... Were amazing. Yeah. But that still doesn't discount the fact that... Um, overall the cast of characters i felt was less strong yeah and i i feel like i felt the length a little bit more on the apartment than i did from here because it is it is over two hours which is pretty lengthy for romantic comedy especially for one that has such a limited um i guess setting i'm not not saying it like there really wasn't a lot that i would have cut um so i think like they needed a lot of that time it just like i felt it a little bit more than i did Uh from here to eternity um, I do have it above the best years of our lives, though, because I felt the length of best years of our lives even more. And there were actually like bits of best years of our lives where I was like, mm, that could have been cleaner. Mm, mm-hmm. Not super happy with that. Like it just there were there were more flaws in it with like some of the writing and the editing to me than with the apartment. Yeah, I definitely agree there. But yeah, yeah. overall, I think it was a, a good movie. Yeah. Um, this I would actually recommend watching. I would I too. Think. I would I would definitely recommend it. So. Yeah, our lists are getting long. So when we're just like, oh, I ranked something as number 13 or something, like that's pretty that's high on the list. Third, basically. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, definitely check it out. And check us out next time when we do Ian. West Side Story. Cool. So join us for that. In the meantime, if you want to chat with us, which we would love to chat with you, you can email us in for more long form stuff at bestpicturespodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Instagram. We are at bestpicturespod on both. Please rate, subscribe, review. That helps more people find us. Mm -hmm. And until next time. Thanks for listening.